We think we can pay for the entire tax cut through growth. Sure you can. When has that ever not worked, Mr. Cohen? <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV 102.3. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Uh, Even on holidays, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us today uh i am joined as ever by the delightful and lovely desiree (laughs) doyan how are you des i am here you have got another that good Uh, you have got another green news report coming up a little bit later yep and it's our last one before the thanksgiving break yes uh with a lot of news as usual Including on Tesla's way, way cool new 100% electric semi-truck introduced by Tesla CEO Elon Musk a few days ago. But also a story that underscores yet again the importance of elections, specifically the one held a week or two ago in Virginia that has upset the, the GOP's complete control of the state's House of Delegates in Virginia. And I, I think the... Importance of elections may be a recurring theme on today's show. <laughs> you think? Yeah, it actually it always is, isn't it? But yeah, particularly kind of. today, because that's something that even Donald Trump seems to understand. Even Donald Trump recognized the importance of elections today in finally, finally offering comments on the allegations of child molestation by the Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate in Alabama, Roy Moore. President Trump defended Roy Moore today, the Alabama Republican Senate candidate accused of sexual misconduct with minors, saying on Tuesday that Moore, quote, totally denies the allegations against him. He apparently didn't say anything about the 30 or so on the record sources in The Washington Post's original reporting on all of this that totally confirm the disturbing allegations made against Roy Moore 
uh, or the uh, b- several other women who have come forward since that report in the Washington Post. Trump said that Alabama bo- voters should not support Doug Jones, the Democratic candidate who's running against Roy Moore in a special election next month. Doug Jones, of course, is the former U.S. attorney who won convictions against KKK members who blew up a black church in the 60s, killing four little girls at the time. He is also the one candidate of the two in the race who has not been accused of being a child molester. Uh, Trump said, we don't need a liberal person in there, a Democrat. Jones, I've looked at his record. It's terrible on crime. It's terrible on the border. It's terrible on the military. Well, actually, it is not. Trump is simply making all of that stuff up out of whole cloth, as he does. Uh, Asked by a reporter whether electing an accused child molester is better than electing a Democrat, Trump responded by saying that Moore denies the charge, uh, the charges against him. He totally denies it. He says it didn't happen. And, you know, you have to listen to him also. You're Are talking you? about, he said 40 years ago, this did not happen. So, you, you know. <laughs> so there you go. It didn't happen. He says it didn't happen. He's a crack investigative person. That's, he says, oh, he, he said he didn't happen. It didn't happen. That's it. Case closed. Did you rob that bank, sir? Your fingerprints are on the door. We found explosives at your home. And witnesses. Uh, that, uh, witnesses uh, that saw you there. The explosives match the ones that blew out the safe. The person on the security video appears identical to you. No, I totally deny that I robbed that bank. Oh, okay, then you're free to go, sir. Sorry we wasted your time. That's kind of the crack investigation, apparently, that uh, Trump is doing here. Uh, So he said, if you look at uh, what is really going on and you look at all the things that have happened over the last 48 hours, he totally denies it. He says it didn't happen. You have to listen to him also. I guess what he's talking about is all of these allegations that have come out over the past 48 hours, actually the past week, concerning uh, inappropriate uh, allegations of uh, sexual activity by uh, Al Franken, uh, Charlie Rose, Numerous uh, other Hollywood figures on and, and on media it goes. figures. Yeah. Yes. So for some reason we have to look at that, but this other stuff, well, no, you don't have. Don't listen to. Don't worry about that. Or the more than thirty on the record sources who, who said otherwise, who uh, who who would dispute Roy Moore's denial here. Speaking on Tuesday before he left for his Thanksgiving break in Palm Beach. Trump also responded to a question about what a reporter called this pivotal moment regarding sexual assault. And Trump said, well, quote, women are very special. I think it's a very special time. A lot of things are coming out, and I think that's good for our society. And I think it's very, very good for women. And I'm very happy these things are coming out, he said. And also, apparently, you should vote for a guy who molested young girls as young as 14 years old when he was a district attorney in uh, in his 30s. That's the message from our not insane at all president. Well, it's not surprising at all, considering the fact that Republicans, many of them voted for Trump, even after the accusations and against his, him, against, against him, him yeah. and his admissions on tape that he did those things. So why is he willing now to come out in favor of the accused child molester for the U.S. Senate after a week or so of, of, of you know, sort of holding his tongue, saying it should be left up to the Alabama voters? Well, because the alternative is 
a Democrat, and that would make it even harder to ram through the GOP's tax cut bill through the U.S. Senate, which Trump is desperate to do after failing to pass any other ma major legislation since coming to office. So, but, you know, maybe, here's just a crazy idea, maybe if Trump and the Republicans had a better tax plan that actually helped the middle class rather than charging them more in taxes, it wouldn't be quite so difficult to get it through the Senate with Republican-only votes. And that plan is being very quickly moved forward now through the U.S. Senate in hopes that the whole thing can be passed before the before the Christmas holidays. And hopefully for them, before this December 12 election in Alabama and uh, in the bargain before the American people can fully appreciate the harm that all objective analysts seem to say will come if this uh, if this particular tax bill is passed. We'll be joined momentarily by President Obama's former tax policy advisor to discuss this GOP bill and that they really this they really hope you don't notice this thing at all with everything else that is going on. So, yes, elections do matter. And even Donald Trump knows that. And I got to tell you, we will fight, I will fight for anyone's right to vote and to have their vote counted and counted accurately in a way that we all can know that it has been counted accurately. That is not a partisan thing for me. I've gone to bat for uh, Republicans as hard as I have for Democrats in many different elections over the past 15 years that I've been on this beat. But you know what drives me crazy? The unbelievable lazy notion, just knee-jerk, lazy notion that there is no difference between the two major parties. Now, you may not like Democrats. You may think, and I may agree, that they are you know, too indebted to some of the corporate influences of uh, that, that, that the same ones that Republicans are influenced by, that they don't fight hard enough for the people. But to say there is no difference between Republicans and Democrats, as I often see from folks on Twitter, including listeners to this show, to say there's no difference between the two parties, it's, I just find to be incredibly uh, lazy and stupid and frankly counter to the facts and just wrong. Now, you know, you may not like Democrats. That's fine. You may prefer Republicans. That is fine. But don't tell me these two parties are the same. Elections matter. And who is elected also matters. A number of stories today underscore that. Uh, I'll try to get to a few of them. We spoke uh, yesterday on this program with Dana Floberg of Free Press about the FCC's decision last week covered by very few people, uh, which will do away with decades-old protections against huge corporations buying up all of the TV stations and newspapers in your hometown. Uh, that That is done. That It's going to be challenged in court, but the FCC voted that last week, and they were able to do that because the FCC has two Democrats and two re Republicans on the commission and one chairperson who is named by whoever happens to be in the White House. So that gives the FCC a three to two advantage to do whatever they want. In this case, for a three to two advantage for Republicans to do whatever they want. And even if that includes gutting decades old protections for our public airwaves. Well, today. The FCC announced their intention to do away with another protection for consumers with 
net neutrality entirely. They're going to hold a vote next month. Now, ironically enough, on Monday, when the Trump administration's Department of Justice filed a lawsuit to block the merger of AT&T and CNN's parent company, Time Warner, they claimed that they were doing it because, uh, according to their press release uh, that, that came out with this lawsuit they filed, consumer cable bills will rise if this merger goes through. And they said that the deal would substantially lessen, this is a direct quote, would substantially lessen competition, resulting in higher prices and less innovation for millions of Americans. They assert that AT&T would be able to charge rival distributors, such as cable companies, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars more per year, and that that wasn't in the interest of the American people. So in that case, the Department of Justice, Trump's Department of Justice, was absolutely correct. It's somewhat shocking that they're making this case, but they are correct. Uh, probably because they're trying to make life difficult for CNN, which is owned by uh, Time Warner, the company being bought up here. But they are correct. Even that, however... Apparently, they did not really mean they're not really concerned about higher prices and less choices for consumers, et cetera, et cetera, because today Donald Trump's Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, announced that it plans to dismantle landmark re regulations that ensure equal access to the Internet, clearing the way for companies, companies like AT&T to go ahead and charge more. And to block access to some websites like, you know, bradblog.com if they decide. The proposal put forward by Trump's FCC chair, Ajit Pai, is a sweeping repeal of rules put in place by the Obama administration, according to the New York Times. The rules prohibited high-speed Internet service providers from blocking or slowing down the delivery of websites, any websites, or from charging extra fees for the best quality of streaming and other Internet services for their subscribers. Those limits are central to the idea of net neutrality. The action immediately reignited a furious fight today over free speech and control of the Internet, pitting telecom giants like AT&T against other Internet giants like Google and Amazon, who warn against the uh, powerful telecom gatekeepers like AT&T. Chairman Pai said in his statement today, quote, under my proposal, the federal government will stop micromanaging the Internet. Instead, the FCC would simply require Internet service providers to be transparent about their practices so that consumers can buy the service plans that's best for them. So all they have to do is be transparent just like your cable provider right now, I think I uh, talked yesterday a little bit about Spectrum and how uh, since Spectrum has taken over Time Warner Cable, that our cable prices have gone up about $80 a month. But hey, they're transparent. It's up to us. We can pick and choose what it is, which channels we'd like to see and, and don't want to see. Totally transparent, right? The proposal from Pi a Republican is widely expected to be approved during a December 14 meeting in a three to two party line vote from the FCC's five commissioners. The clear winners, uh, the New York Times notes from the move would be the giant companies that provide Internet access to phone and computers, which have fought online for years uh, against broadband broadband regulations of any sort. 
A repeal of the current rules would allow the companies to exert more control over the online experiences of American consumers like you. Yes, like you. Well, one of the things that uh, Representative Ro Khanna, he's uh, from California, he posted a price list from Portugal. And he says, look what's happening in Portugal where Internet service providers are yep. starting to split up the Internet yep. into packages like your cable channels. So if you want to access exactly. YouTube and Netflix, that'll cost you an extra five bucks. But if you want to get your email, that's another five bucks. And if you want to go to Facebook and Twitter or Instagram, that's another five bucks. That's right. So and, and Skype and messaging, all of that. In other words they're going to split it up into basic channels that you have to pay extra exactly. just to get there want to watch certain stations want to watch hbo or comedy central uh on your cable well that uh, that costs you more money now and they're going to apply this they will be able to apply this to the internet so you want to access bradblog.com well either i have to pay extra money to have the same availability that google and all the rest do um, or depending on who you have for an internet provider, you may have to pay more money to be to be able to access the uh, oh the progressive media bundle, which you'll be able to access on the internet if you pay a few more dollars. Michael Beckerman, chief executive of the Internet Association, which is a lobbying group representing Google, Facebook, Amazon, other tech firms who are fighting against this said that the action represents the end of net neutrality as we know it and defies the will of millions of Americans. The FCC uh, chairman said that the old rules limited com uh, consumer choice and stifled <laughs> investment My God. in network expansion and upgrades. So, you know, he's doing this for you. He's looking out for you. It's Orwellian. The plan to repeal the existing rules that were passed in 2015 assuring net neutrality, that also reverses a hallmark decision by the agency to declare broadband as a service that is as essential as phones and electricity, and that move creates the legal foundation for the current rules and underscores the importance of high-speed Internet service to the nation. It, that was put in place. Those rules, which are being undone, were put in place by Tom Wheeler, the FCC chair under President Obama. It also, in my opinion, underscores the importance of elections and destroys this knee-jerk, lazy idea that both parties are the same. You might not like either of them. You may want to vote against both of them. You may prefer a third party or not voting at all. That's fine. I support your right to make whatever decision you like in that regard, but please do not waste my time with the notion that both parties are the same. Democrats, in this case, ended up protecting a neutral Internet. Republicans, by a party line three to two vote right now, plan to kill that in one fell swoop. And they will do so unless they can be stopped by the courts or by public outcry in some way or another. Pi signaled his intention to dismantle the existing rules back in April. The action on uh, Tuesday was... Um, by Pi, who was appointed by Trump, is the centerpiece of a deregulatory agenda that has also stripped television broadcasters, newspapers, and telecom companies of a broad range of regulations meant to protect the public interest, which we talked about on yesterday's show. One of the commissioners, one of the Democratic commissioners, uh, uh, Mignon Clyburn, 
said, uh, issued a statement in response to Ajit Pai's announcement today. He said, in just two days, many of us will join friends and family in celebrating the spirit of Thanksgiving. But as we learned today, the FCC majority is about to deliver a cornucopia full of rotten fruit, stale grains, wilted flowers topped off with a plate full of burnt turkey. They're destroying the uh, destroying Internet freedom order as he calls it, would dismantle net neutrality as we know it by giving the green light to our nation's largest broadband providers to engage in anti-consumer practices, including blocking, slowing down traffic and paid polarization. I'm sorry, paid prior prioritization of online applications and services. So you uh, you enjoy downloading your broadcast every day. Apparently that's for free. Apparently that's not going to cost you extra, perhaps. Unless I pay up, unless you pay up, the telecom companies on Tuesday cheered Pi's proposal, of course. Uh, So that's what's going on here. As uh, the the former advisor to Obama's FCC chair, Tom Wheeler, uh, said, your Internet service provider will be free to make online fast lanes and favor the content of its choice. That will take away your control of your Internet experience and give it to Comcast, AT&T and Verizon. That's just one example of why elections matter and why, no, the two major parties, Republican and Democrat, are not alike. Got a bunch of other ones that I don't have time to get to because I got to get to my guest here. But I'll just uh, very briefly. uh, Trump has ended the program or is ending the program that allowed 60,000 Haitians to live and work in the U.S. after the uh, terrible earthquake back in uh, back in 2010 that destroyed the Caribbean nation. Uh, His Homeland Security Department said that conditions in Haiti have improved significantly. So. The, the anyone who uh, came here after that uh, to try to survive has to go home now. That, despite uh, the fact that two and a half million people, roughly a quarter of the population in Haiti, live on less than a dollar twenty-three cents a day. It's one of the poorest nations in the world still. And advocates for Haitians say that a, a persistent cholera epidemic and damages caused by three hurricanes since 2016 have made things even worse for uh, Haitians. But they got to get out. They got to get out. Oh, and by the way, the uh, Trump administration, uh, their plans for the children that were the U.S. citizen children that were born in those uh, whatever it's been seven years to those people who ca- those Haitians who came here. No plan for them. So either those U.S. children have to be deported as well or they'll have to be separated from their parents. Tell me again, there's no difference between the two parties. Finally, a federal judge has permanently blocked Trump's executive order uh, today uh, to cut funding from cities that limit cooperation with U.S. immigration authorities, referred to as sanctuary cities. U.S. District Judge rejected the administration's argument that the executive order applies only to a relatively small pot of money, so don't worry about it, and said that Trump cannot set new conditions on spending approved by Congress to try to force these so-called sanctuary cities to do the uh, to do the federal government's bidding, U.S. District Judge um, William Oreck, who uh, made this, uh, who permanently blocked this sanctuary city executive order, happens to be an Obama appointee. Would a, a Republican appointee have done the same thing? 
I guess that's we'll find out in this case when it makes its way to the Republicans stolen U.S. Supreme Court. But yes, once again, another reminder, elections matter. And yes, there is a difference between the two major parties. That difference is very evident when it comes to the tax scheme for the wealthy CEOs that Republicans and Trump are trying to ram through the Senate right now. And of course, that's why Trump doesn't even mind a child molester in the U.S. Senate if it will help him pass his tax cuts for huge corporations. We'll talk about that with Obama's former tax advisor right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Let me tell you how it will be There's one for you, 19 for me Cause I'm the tax man Yep Yeah, I'm the tax man Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com For months, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin has said that the GOP's tax code overhaul would pay for itself by leading to larger economic growth. An analysis released last week, however, by the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. I think that's Donald Trump's old alma mater, actually. Uh, that uh, new analysis pokes holes in Mnuchin's argument, to say the least. Mnuchin had said in September, quote, not only will this tax plan pay for itself, but it will pay down debt. He argued that because of larger economic investment from business, growth from the plan would increase tax revenue despite lower rates for corporations across the board. A new analysis um, from Wharton, however, suggests that Mnuchin's assumptions are significantly off. According to their model, even with a high amount of economic growth, the federal budget deficit which Republicans used to pretend they cared about, that deficit would increase at least $1.5 trillion over the plan's first 10 years. The legislation would further cause at least $3.6 trillion in shortfall in federal revenue by 2040, according to the analysis. This week, the nonpartisan Tax Policy Center at the Urban Institute and Brookings Institution released a new analysis of their own of the tax bill that was recently passed by the U.S. House. The study from the Tax Policy Center also disputes the claims from GOP leadership and the Trump administration that the deep tax cuts for corporations and the wealthy will create so much economic growth that the massive cuts to incoming tax revenue in the bill will somehow pay for itself. Not long after Mnuchin's comments... White House Economic Secretary, uh, Economic Advisor, I should say, Gary Cohn, had echoed Secretary Mnuchin's statements that the tax plan would somehow pay for itself in comments to CNBC. In internally, what, what's your estimate? What, what's, what's the number in terms of the productivity growth that this will create? 
we think we can pay for the entire tax cut through growth over the over the cycle. See, nothing to worry about. Nonetheless, the uh, new study by the Tax Policy Center finds that while the bill would somewhat boost the nation's economic output, leading to more revenue for the government, it would not be nearly enough to offset the revenue lost due to the tax cuts. The net effect of the bill would be to increase the deficit by some $1.3 trillion over 10 years, according to that study. The revenue generated by the growth would be about $169 billion over 10 years, but that is a drop in the bucket compared to the more than $1 trillion in revenue that the government would lose over that same period. Moreover, the nonpartisan tax policy center found that the scheme would result in some 82 million middle-class families who earn anywhere from 55 to $93,000 a year. Those families will pay more in taxes under the Republicans' supposed tax cuts. But it's not only those Lefties from the Wharton School of Business and the Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center who find the GOP tax cuts would blow up the national debt and deficit, something that right-wingers, so-called conservatives, had pretended to be against, at least when there was a Democrat in the White House. The New York Times surveyed various writers from the so-called left and center and right, and even many of those cited from the right had concerns about this legislation. For example, Ned Ryan in The Hill wrote that the plan now being discussed qualifies as a grab bag of goodies for the uber-wealthy globalists while passing the price tag on to the middle and upper middle class in America. Ryan was disappointed that the current tax overhaul plan did not do more to cut taxes for middle-income families and places the blame for the corporate-friendly tax code at the feet of Steve Mnuchin and Gary Cohen. Former George W. Bush official David Frum asks at The Atlantic, what firm would venture a long-term investment based on tax changes that are so likely to be unsustainable? And even the editors at the right-wing National Review, while generally appreciating the effort, Note that they were worried about the amount that tax cuts would add to the deficit, though they were particularly happy about the Senate's recent addition of the plan that would repeal the Affordable, uh, the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate, a move that the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office estimated was likely to result in 13 million fewer Americans having health coverage over the next 10 years. Uh, how does how does that help? How does that decrease the deficit in some way? Well, we'll ask my guest in a moment. But as if that's not all grim enough for the actual facts of this plan, if you believe in facts at this point, it's also wildly unpopular with the American people. A new Quinnipiac survey out this week found that only 25 percent of American voters support this Republican tax plan. And passage by the U.S. Senate at this hour remains anything but certain. At the White House, nonetheless, this week, Donald Trump was optimistic about the effort. He congratulated the U.S. House for passing its bill last week and expressed hope that the Senate would soon follow suit, announcing, quote, we're going to give the American people a huge tax cut for Christmas. Hopefully that will be a great big beautiful Christmas present. Well, 
how great, how big, and how beautiful that Christmas present will be and whether it actually gets passed at all. That's another question, a question worth uh, talking to Seth Hanlon about. He is the senior fellow at Center for American Progress, where he focuses on federal tax and budget policy. Prior to that, he served as a special assistant to President Obama for economic policy at the White House National Economic Council. You know, that thing that Gary Cohn now runs. He, uh, Seth, was at the time coordinating the Obama administration's tax policy. Seth Hanlon, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me back. You bet. We are nearing the holiday. Republicans are desperate to pass this tax cut bill. They call it tax reform, but... Every honest broker seems to agree that it really amounts to tax cuts for the wealthy. So I've been following or at least trying to follow the volcano that is your Twitter account of late, Seth, uh, trying to keep up with this mess. But there is so much that seems so wrong about this entire process and its ensuing legislation. So I guess the biggest question is, what do Americans who may not be versed in tax policy, like myself, need to know about this bill as you see fit as we head into the holidays and the Republicans are trying to jam this through the U.S. Senate? Yep. I mean, I think the number one thing they need to know um, and that we're trying to communicate is that this thing's happening now. I mean, they, this bill could be law by the end of next week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't think that's the most likely. I think it might take longer than that. But it, but they're trying to jam it through the Senate, which is the key to all of this, mm-hmm. is the Senate, because um, it's already passed the House um, next week, mm-hmm. right? And there's reasons why they're doing that so fast. I mean, they're doing it because they don't really want, you know, sunshine is the best, sunlight's the best disinfectant, and they do not want to, they do not want people to, you know, um, scrutinize this bill to find out what's in it, to understand the ramifications. So they're trying to get it through as fast as they possibly can, and that means next week, and that means that people don't have time to uh, make their voices heard. They need to do it this week um, and, you know, as soon as possible, like next Monday morning after Thanksgiving. What are some of the biggest, I know, like I said, your Twitter feed is just a volcano right now, but what are some of the the sort of the top-line numbers that you think people, Americans, need to know about that will hopefully get them calling their uh, senator at this point? So I think if you look at, you know, a lo- there's a lot going on in this bill. Um, it's a $1.5 trillion, uh, you know, tax cut, mostly for corporations. Mm-hmm. I think if you really want to see what's happening with this bill, you look at what's permanent in it, you know, because some of it is, a lot of it is just temporary, mm-hmm. but there's really only three parts that are permanent. Um, number one is a massive tax cut for corporations. Um, number two is a, is a sort of... Uh, not, not secret, but a, a kind of hidden uh, tax increase on basically every single American household. Um, and then number three is uh, an attack on the Affordable Care Act. So they're repealing a key part of, um, of Obamacare or the ACA. Um, and it's, you know, it's been estimated to result in 13 million people without health insurance mm-hmm. and um, premiums increasing for people who buy them through you know, marketplaces mm-hmm. uh, by 10%. So basically, basically what's happening here is this is a permanent tax cut for corporations paid for with a permanent tax increase on individuals um, and with by fewer people having health care. Now, Orrin Hatch, of course, last week, uh, you probably saw that uh, showdown with uh, Senator um, uh, Sherrod Brown from Ohio, uh, claimed that, no, these are absolutely not tax cuts for the rich. 
Your response to that, Seth Hanlon, after uh, hopefully you saw that 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 uh, debate and have been reading, following this closely. Yeah, I mean, it's just there was a lot of sort of like theater criticism because you know they got into this heated argument. Mm-hmm. Um, Sherrod Brown and, and Aaron Hatch. And the bottom line is, like, one of them was entirely right and the other one was entirely wrong. Of course this is a tax cut for the rich, an enormous tax uh, cut for the rich. And at the same time, it's going to raise taxes on tens of millions of families, uh, in, tens of millions in the near term, mm-hmm. and then about 90 million, we're, we're, uh, we're finding out, um, after the sort of temporary tax cuts expire and the sort of permanent elements kick in. How how does that you you know the other claim the Republicans have been making is that a every American is going to get a tax cut with this bill and that somehow these tax cuts are going to pay for themselves. Uh, do, do tax cuts ever actually pay for themselves the way the Republicans are making this argument? Um, no, I mean they never have, and to believe that you have to sort of believe sort of far flung, far out economic theories that have never panned out in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so there have been, uh, you know, the, the Joint Tax Committee, which is the sort of like, Congress, it's the sort of counterpart to the Congressional Budget Office, mm-hmm. but for tax, um, has scored this bill and it costs, you know, 1.4, just under $1.5 trillion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also been analyses, you know, that are so-called dynamic analyses. So they take into account, you know, the effects on the economy, um, and those, you know, so, but, but, but by responsible outfits, you know, using the best, you know, uh, assumptions from the, from the economic literature mm-hmm. and very carefully constructed models, and there was one that came out yesterday, and it, it said that the, this bill increases the deficit by $1.3 trillion over 10 years, right? So that's, yeah. you know, these, so these models, you know, have, there might be some, a little bit of sort of feedback, you know, um, tiny bit of uh, GDP being a little bit higher and therefore a little bit more revenue, but like nothing near um, paying for itself. The how, how does killing the Obamacare mandate actually help them increase revenue? I, I don't understand. I thought that the Affordable Care Act was uh, scored by the CBO when it was originally passed back in 2010 under Obama to save the government like $200 billion or something. How, how does that removing that mandate uh, end up saving money for the government? Yeah, it's a really good question. The answer is that, I mean, so of course they're not repealing all of um, the Affordable Care Act. If they repealed all of it, then it would be increasing deficits. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're only sort of pulling out one leg of the stool here, um, and that's the individual mandate. So the requirement that people uh, need to buy Mm -hmm. health insurance if they can afford it. And so by doing that, you know, fewer people sign up for health care. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think most importantly, it creates, uh, it creates a dynamic where uh, when if, you know, let's say people who are healthy or think they're going to be healthy don't sign up for health care, prices go up for everybody. So the insurance, you know, the, uh, you get this sort of spiral where premiums increase. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, then more people can't afford it. Um, people who go to sign up might not, um, uh, then might not enroll in Medicaid either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the bottom line is there's 13 million more people who don't have health insurance, like either through the uh, marketplace exchanges or through Medicaid. And since the people in the marketplaces are getting tax credits when they, when they buy health, con- health insurance, mm-hmm. um, the loss of those tax credits and also 
having fewer people covered by Medicaid uh, scores as reducing federal spending. Mm. So it, incre- it decreases the deficit. So it's purely like, I mean, it's sort of a roundabout effect, but the bottom line is that the, it, it reduces deficits because fewer people have subsidized health care. Gotcha. And uh, as you note, Seth Hanlon, 13 million fewer will have health care if the mandate is repealed, according to the CBO. But the White House has said that they'll be willing to remove that provision if they need to in order to win passage in the Senate. When you were uh, in the Obama administration as a uh, special assistant on economic policy, uh, did you include stuff in your proposals that were were known to be objectionable just so you could take them out during negotiations to make it look like you gave up something. It kind of feels like that's what they're heading towards in order to win over, for example, uh, Senator Susan Collins's vote on this. Uh, Susan Collins from Maine. Uh, is, is that a tactic that you guys used in the uh, Obama White House? I mean, you know, you, you say what your priorities are, right? So, like, you start with what your priorities are, mm-hmm. right? And then you then you go from there. So, I mean, so I'd First of all, I think it would be like, and you know, you know, when we do, when we would do our budget, mm-hmm. um, it would be a proposal, but we would believe in it in all aspects of it. You know, it might we might realize that we might have to negotiate down from it, um, and so I think it's telling. I mean, they are these are their priority, like their first draft of the bill is their priorities, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, I I don't know whether they'll take the mandate out. I hope they do, um, but. Even if they do, the bill is not salvageable. This, mean, the, the tax aspects of the bill are um, are terrible in their own right. There's no way to, to 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 sort of fix the bill with this framework that could actually do the things that Republicans are claiming that this uh, bill would do. I mean, no. I mean, th- th- you need to start again if you want to. Like, if you if you sort of say if you sort of take even what they say that they want to do with this bill, which mm-hmm. is you know not increase deficits. Um, have a middle class tax cut. Um, you you just need to start again because because this bill like is the op- exact opposite of that. And um, you know, I, and but I do think you know if there was this bill has to fail for the, a possibility to open up of something bipartisan and something responsible. And there is a question of whether it will fail or not. It only needs 50 votes to pass. Uh, Republicans can afford to lose, I think, three senators at this point. I know you're short on time, Seth, uh, but let me real quick try to get this in. I I have read that this bill will either includes or will lead to a $25 billion cut to Medicare. So I'm wondering, A, is that a direct cut? And B, in the past... Republicans have used deficits like the kind they're pushing here. They used to pretend to be against them, but uh, now they're apparently fine with it. They've used these sort of deficits to push cuts to things like Medicare and Social Security uh, down the road after the you know these tax cuts don't pan out. Do you see something like that uh, happening here? Is that in uh, a part of this scheme as you see it? Yeah, I think I think there's two levels of it. I mean, so first of all, there is direct and automatic cuts to Medicare that would result from this bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so just by the fact that the bill, you know, gives away tax cuts to the people at the top and corporations, $1.5 trillion, there's a law that's in place that says if, you know, deficits increase like that, it triggers automatic spending cuts. And there's a whole list of programs that, are, that would, would basically get the axe or mm-hmm. at least the scalpel 
um, and Medicare is cut by 4%. So that means about $25 billion in Medicaid next year, like 2018. Um, oh, immediately? Oh, geez. And there's a whole host of programs like that. Now, what the Republicans would say is that, well, we can deal with that later, essentially. You know, we can, you know, we're not, we're not going to w- let that happen. But it would be law. I mean, it would be automatic in law that those cuts would happen, and it would just be a matter of Congress fixing the problem later, um, which they might. But I think, like, you know, if there's anything we've learned from this Congress, is that it's that they can't do even basic no. things right. No, they're good at breaking things, not very good at fixing yeah, things. Totally. I, I know you're, you're a tax guy, not a politics guy per se, but will this, will this tax scheme get through? And what do you recommend that Americans do at this point as we head into the holidays? So I think it's, I think it's I mean, it really is 50-50 at this point. It comes down to, probably comes down to a handful of senators. I think you'd mentioned Susan Collins. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a, a group of uh, Republicans that are, that are, you know, believe themselves to be deficit hawks, mm-hmm. and we have to see whether they actually are. Um, but that is, you know, Cork, you know, Bob Corker, John McCain, Jeff Flake, um, and a few others. Um, so I think, it, I think it probably comes down to them, but I think it's important for people everywhere to be contacting their both House and Senate members to turn up the pressure. Um, again, this is, the strategy here is to move this so fast that people can't hear from their constituents and can't feel the heat on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's critical that, that people do that. We, um, we have a resource now up on our website called, um, it's called Trump, TrumpTaxToolkit.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and people can go and, you know, you can get the switchboard number or the, you know, target senators. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also uh, NotOnePenny.org. So in other words, not one penny for millionaires and corporations. NotOnePenny.org is a great resource for people who, um, you know, want to take action. And they need to take action quick. I would also add they should take action by following your Twitter feed just to get a sense, just to get a taste of really how terrible and obscene this uh, this legislation is turning out to be. You can follow Seth Hanlon on the Twitters at Seth Hanlon. You can follow his work, of course, at AmericanProgress.org and check out those websites, TrumpTaxToolkit.org and NotOnePenny.org. This is like, uh, well, like when they were trying to kill Obamacare. It's time for Americans to... Uh, Take action. Seth, uh, really appreciate your work uh, on all of the above. We'll continue to follow you. And uh, thanks for joining us today on the broadcast. Thanks so much. You bet. That's Seth Hanlon of the Center for American Progress. Bernie Sanders uh, rang in on on one point that I was getting to there with Seth concerning this uh, tax bill that if it's passed, it's going to result in a $1.5 trillion deficit. And, oh, what happens next? Another point. When they run up a one and a half trillion dollar deficit, as they will in this legislation, they're going to come back. And that's what Paul Ryan is saying. They're going to come back with massive cuts to Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid because they say, oh, my goodness, the deficit and the national debt are too high. This is a terrible, terrible piece of legislation, and it must be defeated. Count on it. That is exactly what the Republicans are going to do. We can't afford. We can't afford this giveaway, the Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. We've got to cut somewhere because, you know, we took away one and a half trillion dollars of revenue to the U.S. government so we could give our wealthy friends like the Koch brothers and Donald Trump a huge tax break. 
So, yeah, there's that as well. If you want to uh, ring in, as uh, Seth Hanlon suggests, to your senators and Congress members, you can reach them all with one single phone number. Write it down, 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. All right, quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. We really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. And real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media, you know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump, must be able to continue the fight for all of us. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Des, we're going to be uh, melting over Thanksgiving out here in Los Angeles. Yeah, nothing like a November heat wave. Uh, going to be in the 90s Yikes. In, uh, on Thanksgiving out here in Los Angeles. And no, for people who are not from here, that is not normal. I think the normal attempts for this time of the year are around 70, something, right. 72 degrees. It's going to be 93 uh, at least where where I live. So uh, other than that, nothing to worry about. Uh, Global warming is a hoax. Uh, totally. And another reminder that, uh, yes, there is a difference between the two parties, between the two major parties. Drives me nuts when I hear that lazy. They're all the same. All right. Anyway, I uh, got a follow up to one of our stories on the Green News Report today. So let's get it. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. This clears a major state hurdle. Now, of course, we'll see all the lawsuits come in. Nebraska green lights Keystone XL pipeline, but it still may not get built. Virginia moves to cut emissions 30 percent by 2030. Trump withdraws plan to lift ban on importing elephant body parts. Plus, the Tesla semi will go zero to 60 in five seconds. <laughs> Elon Musk introduces breakthrough all electric long haul semi truck. And the crowd goes wild. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. If you just can't stand it at Thanksgiving, you know, turn to him and say, you may not believe in global warming, but global warming believes in you. Right. (laughs) This is your Green News Report.
Okay, Dizzy Doyen, what I really want to talk about is Tesla's new semi-truck, but (laughs) let's go ahead and start with Keystone. All right. Nebraska's Public Service Commission voted 3-2 to to approve the controversial Keystone XL pipeline, which had been previously rejected by former President Barack Obama and then re-permitted by President Trump. Motion carries three A's, two nays. Nebraska regulators' vote came just days after a major 210,000-gallon oil spill on the already existing Keystone Pipeline in South Dakota, and after nearly a decade of opposition from landowners and Native American tribes whose land values and water supplies would be directly impacted by any spill. However, the state's okay does not mean that the pipeline will get built. The Nebraska Commission approved a slightly different route than the one requested by TransCanada, the pipeline developer, so now the company must negotiate new right-of-way agreements with landowners. Opponents have also vowed to sue, and even TransCanada itself has said it hasn't decided yet if it even has enough customers to justify the project's cost amid low global oil prices. So we're going to see lawsuits from all sides, from landowners who don't want their land taken away by eminent domain, and all of it may be for naught if oil prices don't get up above $60 where they've been hanging now for the last year or two. Elections have consequences. Nebraska's public service commissioners are elected positions. But over in Virginia, where a spate of Democrats were elected to the state legislature and to the governorship just a few weeks ago, state regulators have now proposed new rules to cut Virginia's carbon dioxide emissions from its electricity sector by 30 percent by 2030. And the state will now join the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, a carbon emissions trading market of northeastern states that has reduced emissions and raised billions of dollars in revenue from polluting industries. Voters showed up, voters put Democrats into office, and now it's becoming a reality in Virginia. In Bonn, Germany, the latest United Nations climate conference just wrapped up negotiations on the landmark Paris Climate Agreement to cut the global carbon emissions that cause dangerous global warming. Inside Climate News reports that little progress was made in hammering out technical mechanisms for implementing the accord. However, the conference did succeed in an unspoken goal, preventing the Trump administration from enticing other nations to backslide on their targets and otherwise undermine the agreement in the wake of U.S. President Donald Trump's vow to withdraw from it in 2020. You mean the Trump administration's coal presentation at the climate conference did not go over well? No. Essentially, the world is trying to hold the line until America gets a new president. Speaking of the Trump administration, after a huge public outcry, the administration has temporarily withdrawn a proposal to lift an Obama-era ban on the import of elephant body parts, or trophies, back into the U.S. The administration had used the debunked claim that killing the elephants helps save them by increasing hunting tourism revenue. Trump says he'll now reconsider whether to end that import ban. Good. Finally, Elon Musk, the billionaire inventor and founder of Tesla, on Thursday unveiled the Tesla all-electric long-haul semi-truck to compete directly with conventional semis. As mentioned, it'll go from zero to 60 in five seconds. And there's no transmission. Transmission can't break. There are no emissions, no scrubbers, no differentials. Um, and, and this is the feature I like best, thermonuclear explosion proof glass. 
Now, he may have oversold the part about the thermonuclear explosion-proof glass. However, he also promised... Survives a nuclear explosion or you get a full refund. So there's that. Musk says the fully loaded Tesla Semi, ready in 2019, will go 500 miles on a single charge. And although it won't be cheap, several corporations, including Walmart, have already placed pre-orders. Very cool. Of course, if he says it'll be ready by 2019, I will look forward to seeing it in 2025. (laughs) For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. And from Desi Doyen and me to you and yours, we hope you all have a warm, safe, and happy Thanksgiving. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. He's bound to die, are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound up. Watch your bandit run. Excellent. Thank you very much, Desi yeah. Doyen. I, I love hearing that tune, I gotta oh, tell yeah. you. And uh, though that's our last Green News report before Thanksgiving, uh, it's not our last broadcast before Thanksgiving. We will be back uh, for one more tomorrow, and you are expected to be here as well. Um, but uh, just to quickly follow up on that elephant story, you know, on Sunday, Donald Trump had tweeted. Big game trophy decision will be announced next week, but will be very hard pressed to change my mind that this horror show in any way helps conservation of elephants or any other animal. So he was suggesting that uh, even though he had decided to allow for these elephant trophies to be brought back, uh, trophies meaning, you know, body parts, body parts, tusks. Yeah, that um, uh, they were going to allow that to happen. Uh, now he has changed his mind. I don't know if this photo that's been going around now for quite some time of Donald Trump Jr. holding a knife and a bloody severed tail of an elephant. Do you suppose that's the horror show he was talking about? That was an elephant that he reportedly killed in Zimbabwe in 2011, Donald Trump Jr. But one month before the Trump administration sparked outrage by reversing that ban on trophies, from threatened African elephants, according to the AP, federal officials also quietly loosened restrictions on the importation of heads and hides of lions that were shot for sport. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service began issuing permits in October for lions killed in Zimbabwe and Zambia. The agency is also studying whether to add three additional countries to the list, Mozambique, Namibia and Tanzania. In two recent tweets, Trump had said he would delay the new policy on allowing elephant trophies, but he made no mention of the lions. I guess it's fine. That's not a horror show. He probably doesn't know about it. You're right. He probably doesn't. He uh, did weigh in after the strong backlash against reversing Obama-era's ban on elephant trophies. Uh, Officials said there was no such legal requirement for them to uh, post notice to the Federal Register about the policy change concerning lions, which back in 2015, the Obama administration had protected by adding them to the endangered species list due to poaching and habitat loss. 
Lions living in the wild are down sharply from an estimated 200,000 a century ago to less than 20,000 today. Another reminder that, yes, there is a difference between Republicans and Democrats. All right. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Seth Hanlon of the Center for American Progress, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it for free for now, anytime at bradblog.com. You can also reach us on the Facebooks and the Twitters for now at the Brad Blog. And uh, my thanks as ever to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to fight for what we do every day over your public airwaves, at least until they do away with net neutrality. All right, until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. He's bound to die, it up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound up, watch your bandit run.